0: John chapter 4, the first six verses, and this morning John is is talking about discernment, right, the importance of discernment, and I just titled the message, Discerning Truth from Error, and he's going to talk about uh, this very thing. If you remember what he's been going through, I mean, it's the the heart of John, has been that you may know, right, he uses that Greek word over and over, gnosko, that you would know that you have eternal life. That's his concern for this group of people. It's this idea of assurance. You can know you have eternal life and that you would also right, be encouraged to continue right, to believe and to press on. Because we know in life, we've all lived life long enough where we have ups and we have downs, right? And when it's when things are going easy, it's really easy to believe, right? We go through difficulty and those things are, are stretched, our faith grows, Right? When we come on the other side of that, and we, under, we understand that that was a good thing, but when we're going through it, uh, we might feel a little bit of a challenge. We might feel a tug to say, you know what, maybe this thing isn't. Maybe God isn't listening. Right? Those kind of concerns, and John's desire is that you would know. Right? You would know this. Walk in this confidence, Right? and know that God loves you. He has secured that for you. He's given us some tests as he kind of walks through the book, and I'll be sharing a little bit more as we kind of go on, but he, he comes to this moment, and really this, this morning, he's going to talk about a test. That's another test. How many are excited about that? All right? <laughs> yes, those who are <laughs> Those who love the word, right, that's it, right? Tests in general aren't the greatest thing. And John at this point has been talking about this idea of, of as you grow, right? We can test ourselves. And knowing that if we grow in our sanctification, it becomes like this idea of assurance. If if you love God's truth is another test. And if you love God's people, right? His church. Do you love those who are part of the church? Are you growing in this in complete sincerity? Not in a false motive, but in a true motive. And John would say, this is for your, your idea of, of a test. It's not something we take it once and we're good and i passed it, like your driving test, right? You don't have to worry about it later. And I got that one and, or a college or so on and so forth. It's an ongoing. It's an assurance. And it comes to this, this discernment this morning, and I'm going to use that word as a test, but it's not in a sense of, of us being tested, but applying this truth to what we are hearing, testing the other spirits or the other prophets or the other teachers. And It becomes important. I think we've all, and as I said earlier, we live life long enough where we come into situations where maybe uh, there is an element of deception, right? Where we need discernment, um, and sometimes that is somebody projecting that on us, right? Trying to deceive, whether they are passionately or or believe in their position, but they're trying to convince you of it, or maybe it's something just out of out of air, out of something we. Uh, completely don't know. We think it's this way because it's my projector on my perceived understanding and we just kind of believe that is the case. There was a story of, of a gentleman who was named uh, Percival L- uh, Lowell. Sir Percival Lowell and he was a, an astronomer. And this was back in 1877. He loved Mars. He was captivated by the planet and he had believed wholeheartedly there were canals on the planet and it proved this idea of a of a higher life form, more more evolved than us. And he consumed his life. He spent time in Arizona and he had his telescope and he would just map out these canals that he believed were on Mars. And you fast forward to today and we have closer images and pictures of Mars and and we know that there are not canals on Mars, right? So we have this question. We go, well, how how did this happen? This guy was so convinced, he convinced others. No one even re-challenged him on this view. How is it that he was so wrong? And some believe that he just simply projected it. He wanted to see it so badly, right? He wanted to believe there was higher life and and all these things, so he just believed it was there, which is kind of odd that he would pick canals. You know, you'd think he would actually see higher life, you know. Um, But others believe that he had a rare eye disease, an eye form, where his veins in his eyes were actually bulging. And as he looked through the telescope, he projected right upon Mars what was actually happening in his own eye. And it's known today as Lowell Syndrome. That's, that's the, the term it is coined because he believed that, that what he was actually seeing out there was actually just happening right in his eye. And the idea is that we can be deceived. These things in life happen, right? We go through situations of life where things are, are presented to us, everybody has a worldview right? The media has a worldview. The world, I mean, our president has a worldview. You have a worldview. And our job is to discern through this. And John's heart, remember, his desire, his pastoral love for this group of people is that they would come, they would understand if you think of their situation and those who are who are, are active, the Gnostics who have stepped in and, and have come to this situation saying, we have the higher truth. We've got the better mark here, man. We've got Christianity 2.1. It's over here. This is the good thing. They've created this confusion. And John says, hey, they left. They got up and left, right? These people weren't a part of us. And you can imagine the confusion that is there. And so here they are. They're trying to grow in their sanctification. They're trying to grow in their truth. They're trying to grow in, in obedience to God's commandments as John has, has touched on all these things. They're trying to be faithful to all of this. And John comes to a point where he, he, he wants to stress the idea and the importance of discernment. Don't believe, but yet believe the right ones. So here's our passage. This is a chapter 4. The first six verses. And John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but... You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He, knows, he who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth, and the spirit of error. Let me offer a brief prayer this morning. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word, that it is true and it divides down to the bone and marrow. It is our desire, Lord, to be honoring to you and to be pleasing to you and to glorify you. And Lord, we know that that entails understanding who you are and the truth of your word. So I ask this morning, Lord, you would open our eyes to the truth of your word our ears to hear your word, that we would grow in our understanding and our confidence and our faith, that in us, Lord, you would receive the glory. And I pray, Lord, as always, get me out of the way, that every life would be fixed upon you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we come to this, this passage, and John kind of has, he definitely has this idea of, of pastoral love, right? He wants to get into them, or, or engage them and say, look, here's these, these wonderful uh, descriptive words where he begins with beloved, right? And he's going to say, hey, beloved, this, this situation, this life, the things that you come across, the things that you engage with that need a biblical understanding, things that you need to discern, right? It's so important for John, that he would begin with this word, beloved. This idea of discernment, and, and this is my first point. What I want to talk about is the reason for discernment. What is the reason for discernment? John has this beloved, he, he kind of stresses the idea that this is serious. Right? We see his his genuine love for this group of people just like the word is, is saying to us this morning hey don't be duped into anything right and he goes right into this idea that he's going to recognize the danger and say you need to call it what it is and he comes right out and says beloved and then he gives us two commands John first gives us a negative command he tells you he commands you do not believe every spirit right don't do it right don't do that commanded don't do that however then he gives what i'm calling a positive command he says but rather test test the spirit that is in line with scripture you think of paul and the bereans right testing this and searching it and finding it is this true is what i'm saying true is pastor just gone off in the deep end here don't answer that some of you are like well yeah we we already know that one pastor but he gives us these commands he has this genuine love for this group of people and he says look here i'm gonna i'm gonna come at you beloved right don't do this However, do this. Test every spirit, and why? Why is John so serious about it? Because he tells us. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, this isn't unique to John's day, right? It's not unique to Scripture. There are many examples throughout Scripture. You've read the Old Testament. You know this. There's nothing new under the sun, there are many religions today that deny who Christ is, that deny the creation, that all these things are happening, right? there, You can go across the street, across town, across the world, you're going to find these things pretty much anywhere. Living in Denver for a time, it was quite unique to come across many different kind of religions that were represented with buildings, right? Usually you hear about them, but man, in Denver, things like everyone's got a building. And I remember one of the friends, we'd go to a ball game and there was a... Um, a Christian science building down there, and he always tried to check in on Facebook just to throw people off. Like, why are you doing that? Right? You walk by the building. Let's check in at the Christian Science Building. No, what are you, you know, that's just, you know, what are you doing? But they're everywhere, right? It's not in front of you. It's not like you have to go for. False teaching, right? For us, it's not, we're not going to say the word prophets. We're going to talk about teaching. And John's going to bring that idea right into the New Testament. We'll talk about that here in a moment. So he's not talking about specifically his. His day only, we realize that this is in front of us, right? There's always been false teachers, and God's people have always had the task, right, by the power of his Spirit to discern. This isn't a new thing. All of us would say, yeah, there's there's nothing brand new here. This is ongoing. There's a wonderful example of, of this in the, in the Old Testament, whether you read 1 Kings 22 or 2 Chronicles 18, it's a story of Jehoshaphat and the king of Judah. And he's going with uh, Ahab, who's the king of Israel. That this, this moment in, in, in their history, the kingdom is divided. And there is you know, Jehoshaphat is, is, a, is a man who fears the Lord. He does what is right by the Lord. And God, God you know, honors him as one who does what is right. He didn't, he didn't take down all the high places, if you're familiar with the passage, but he did a lot of good things. He wasn't a Hezekiah or a Josiah, but he was, he was on track with fearing the Lord. And Ahab and the Israelites were completely opposite of that at this time, right? They had gone completely pagan and went to foreign gods, and, and all this was happening. And, and, and there's this relationship that develops between these two kings of the two kingdoms. And Ahab sees the Syrians are going to attack, and he asks Jehoshaphat, would you come with me? Come with me. Let's, let's build our forces. Will you come to battle with me? And it's interesting, later Jehoshaphat, he does this, but he's actually later rebuked by the Lord for doing this. But he says, yes, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll come. We'll, 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 we'll be together, right? We have a friendship. You know how that kind of works, this friendship? Oh, come on, well, yeah, it's okay. Let's let's compromise what the Lord's All right, let's come. So they have this moment and they're, they're calling all the prophets together and they're saying, hey, let's, should we go out? Should we not? And, and Ahab has his 400 plus prophets. They come and they all say, yeah, you should go. You'll be victorious. And if you're familiar with the passage, you'll notice that, that, that the Lord asks a question. Who will go down and, and deceive Ahab? And one of the spirits says, I will go down and put a lying spirit in all these prophets so they will tell Ahab to go out to battle. God is going to judge him and it's a unique passage of scripture I know that's you're thinking oh there's a lot to get into that right um, but this is happening and, and Jehoshaphat's wise enough to see this and going, isn't there a prophet of God here I see your 400 I'm, I'm paraphrasing here I see your 400 and they're all saying the same thing but isn't there a prophet of, of the Lord here and Ahab responds and he says yeah there's one but he I don't like him he never tells the truth right Ahab's not listening. <coughs> Micaiah. So Micaiah is the prophet. And he says, Yes, go get Micaiah. So he sends one of his servants to go get Micaiah, and they, and they go to Micaiah. And if you, if you, again, if you're familiar with the passage, this, the, the prophets show up and say, Hey, before he takes them to, to King Ahab, he says, Hey, all the prophets, they all said good things. We've all encouraged the king. Why don't, why don't your, your, your prophecy why, just be in line with that? Okay, don't, don't stir the pot here. Right? And Micaiah says something very wonderful. He says, I will speak as the Lord directs me to speak. Which is great. I mean, circle that in your Bible. All right? So they bring him before him, and there's this scene that unfolds. Right? Yeah, the two kings, they're, desire, they're, they're, they're trying to discern. Should we go out? Should we not? All, right? All of Ahab's prophets say, go. This is going to be a good day for you. Micaiah comes and he understands what is happening. He even understands that there's been a lying spirit and he begins to mock the other prophets and he says, oh yeah, go out. Absolutely. And Ahab gets frustrated and says, didn't I tell you, said, this man always lies to me, right? He picks up on the sarcasm probably that is happening. And then he tells them the truth. He says, I see Israel scattered like sheep without a leader. If you go out today, you will die. And Ahab, furious with that, right, lock him up. And Micaiah responds, and he says, if, at the end of this day, you come back alive, you know I have been lying, right? Of course, they go to battle. Ahab, I'll just kind of wrap this up for you, and because you want to know if you haven't read it, right? Ahab goes out, and he... He says, he tells Jehoshaphat, you wear the kingly robes, you be the king. I'm going to wear a regular garb. I'm going to go into, into combat. A random archer shoots Ahab. Bleeds out and he dies. Right? And Micaiah is vindicated. It's exactly what Micaiah said. Jehoshaphat in this scene, he gets surrounded. He does what? He prays. The Lord turns the armies away and protects him. But later, Jehoshaphat is rebuked for compromising God's truth to align himself, ally himself they have. But you have this scene, right? We have this wonderful scene that, that, that we can discern who was right and who was wrong. Was it the 400 that said, go out? Or was it the one who said, don't? You will die. And we have this this kind of moment, right? And this is kind of what John, so to speak, is dealing with. How do we, you and I? How do we discern if there is someone coming and whether he's a gnostic or some other false teaching? How can you be so sure? Is it so cut and dry that we can say no? It's it's clearly this or it's clearly that. There might be things that people say that we just go, I don't. How do we discern that? Or what happens if someone comes and gives a teaching? And even though this person's a false, right, prophet, what if that prophecy comes true? What if that teaching comes true? What are we to do? When we think of the Old Testament, what are are the standards? In Jeremiah 28, 9, Jeremiah says, as for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. All right, well, what if? Right? What if something comes to pass and it's coming from a false prophet? What are we to do with that? And I think this is where John kind of grabs this idea of Deuteronomy 13, one three, and he's going to bring it right into this text. This is what Deuteronomy 13, one three says. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and he gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods. Which you have not known. And let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So, if there's a prophet or a teaching, John Essence is saying, if there's something that comes and leads you away from Christ, hasn't he been saying that through this whole passage? These Gnostics have been saying, you know what? We don't really need Jesus. We've got God the Father. And he says, no, you can't have it that way. Not only do you not have Jesus, you don't have God the Father either. He dealt with that in in chapter 1. Going into chapter 2, he's dealing with these ideas, these Gnostic teachings. And so he puts the focus upon Christ. Here is the measuring stick. Here is the plumb line. Here is the reason, right? There are those who come who look right, who are genuine and maybe in their motives. Maybe they look just genuine. They have a fervency. They have a passion. You know what? This this person seems uh, genuine and concerned for this and they're really teaching this. But what do they say about Christ, right? What do they say about Christ? And it comes this idea of a test. Test these spirits, because there are what? There are many false ones who come. What do they say about Jesus? And for us, I'm just going to put this in there as a caveat. You have to understand that there is a thing that, that we call equivocation. There are many religions that talk about Christ, and they use words justification and sanctification, all these things we would say, yes and amen, that is true. But they define them differently. So some things become quite clear. Other things take uh, some discernment in, in the idea of probing and going deeper. So we see the reason, see this reason, what's around us. So this leads to my next point. What is the basis for this discernment? What is the basis in which John gives us? And he says in verses two and three, he says, by this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the antichrist, which you have heard was coming. And is now already in the world. Quite simply, John is saying behind right every spirit right are behind every teaching we should say or every prophet stands a spirit. That's what he's saying. Everything that is produced, there is one or the other. is the spirit of God, or it's the spirit right of Antichrist against Christ. It is either for Christ or against Christ. Remember, throughout the Bible, and even in John's uh, letter, he's always very black and white. There's no gray area with him, right? He's talked about Cain and Abel, man. You're either party of Cain or you're with Abel. Then he says, he uses that and builds the argument of don't marvel if the world hates you, right? Jesus said this, the world hates me simply because of me. He says, and then John's talking about don't marvel about this thing. You're from the lineage of Abel, then yeah, you're gonna live this way and, and the world's gonna be against you, right? There is only two groups, Behind every prophet, every teaching, there is a spirit. And John wants us to test them. What is their origin? Right? How do, where are they coming from? How are we to test them? And how are we to know? And this is where I say where I think John is taking this idea of Deuteronomy 13 and he's bringing it right into, in essence, the, to his letter. He's saying this is it. What do they say specifically about Christ? What do they say about Jesus? Do they acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ who's come in the flesh? John is very, very much going to drive home the idea of the incarnation, the, the realness, the history of Jesus, right? He, is, he came, he was born, he was in the flesh. He's going to go on a little bit later and talk about it. he was of the blood and of the water. He was born, he was real. He's not some type of spirit that kind of floated in and floated out, right? These Gnostics were kind of clinging on to. So what do they say about Jesus. If they deny that he came in the flesh, John would say, they are what? They are the spirit of the Antichrist. He would say, simply, we think of that as maybe kind of too harsh, but in reality, that is it. They stand against. They stand against Jesus. Jesus posed this very question, right? Maybe that's running through your minds this morning. We asked his disciples, right? Who do you say that I am? Matthew 16, 15. Who do the people say? Right? You got all these different answers and then he said who do you? Who do you say that I am? And we look at John's, John's test here, right? And he's got the, the positive and the negative just like his commands. he's got a positive and negative. Do not do this but do this. And he says if every spirit that confesses in a positive sense that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh he's of God but a spirit does not confess. Paul's Has a similar idea in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. It says, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. We see the positive, the negative, the positive confession, the negative confession. And John is really going to hold on to this idea of, of the incarnation of Jesus, the historical fact that Jesus has come. It's very important to John. It's his, his number one refute to these Gnostics, right? The Gnostics believe that, that the, maybe the, the earthly Jesus was, was born in the spirit, the divine Jesus, if you will, kind of went into this body, and, and he lived the life, and this is what we know. And then right before the, this, this earthly Jesus died on the cross, the divine Jesus took off. I mean, that's kind of what they're teaching. The Spirit came in, and this is what happened. And, and clearly, John is going after that head-on. He's going to make this very foundational to the Christian faith, that, that Jesus, no, he was born of the flesh. This man, this, he was the, the virgin birth went all the way through to the cross, the completion, the incarnation, and he's going to deal with these Gnostics, and he's going to make it a fundamental teaching, the chief, right? The, the, the response to this error the incarnation of Christ. And why is that? Why is that so important for you this morning? Why is that so important for me this morning, this teaching? Because only a truly human person could suffer and die, and only a truly divine person could give that suffering infinite value. It's very important, the deity of Christ. The ultimate end of our Lord's incarnation is therefore declared to be that he might die. There has to be atonement. God is the just and the justifier. He doesn't lower his standard. He doesn't say, you know what? I like this side this morning. They can come in this side. I don't know. Got to keep working on it. He maintains it. He takes all our sin. He says, you know what? I'm not going to lower my justice. I'm going to have my justice. It's going to be poured out upon my son. Here's your sin. Place it on him. This is why it's important that Christ came and lived the incarnate Christ, because you and I cannot have salvation without the truth of this gospel, the truth of what John is saying. And in essence, what is he telling us? Theology really matters, doesn't it? Knowledge really matters. This understanding really matters. We have a tendency to kind of maybe weave these things off or think it's not that important. We're not talking about, I mean, some of these concepts, yeah, they're, they're they're, they're deep, right? But we need to see them in application and trust them for what they are because they pertain to you. And the most important doctrine of scripture is salvation. That's, It's always got my vote, right? I want to know. Just as John is saying, you can know you are assured you have eternal life. This is his point. And it takes Christ to give us that assurance. So we see the reasons, right, for this this test. And John goes right into the basis. Here it is, right? There's a confession. He came in the the flesh. And then his last, uh, my last point here, his last three verses is the benefit of discernment. Why should you be discerning? Why should you do this? Here's the benefit. He says in verse 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, meaning the false teachers, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us but this by this excuse me we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of air this is where i think a lot of this comes into focus if you will right i mean some of you might be thinking this sounds kind of theoretical it sounds kind of out there i don't come across this this idea as often i don't don't engage in this kind of activity or, or conversation that that often um And we're just not confronted with that. Although we do understand the worldviews, we understand the implications on a a broader sense. But in a day-to-day, maybe we do or do not come across this. And maybe on a human level, we might be thinking, how can we really figure this out? This seems like it would take a lot of time to to dig into and to pry into. and, And maybe some of those questions are running through your mind, but there's wonderful benefits into this investigation into to digging into the the depths of statements and what do they mean and John really s- kind of spills them out for us and his writing always kind of has this idea like it has the teaching and it has the reason and then it kind of moves into kind of an application or what I'm calling this morning this benefit and the first real benefit is found in verse 4 and it's the believer is encouraged when you actively engage in this and you, and you come to God's word and you say, this is a statement and I see this and where does it line up in scripture? I think this is wrong. There is encouragement because ultimately we learn, he says, you are of God, little children. You have overcome them because he who is greater, uh, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And quite simply, the, the believer overcomes. I mean, we learn two things quite quickly, right? This is why are you encouraged? Because you overcome. That's good news. Some of us don't feel like overcomers. And he's saying, look, you have overcome. Now, this isn't a, a wrestling match, right? It's not, a, it's not a physical takedown, although sometimes it may feel like you want to do that. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about intellectual battle. Quite frankly, like these, these folks who John is writing to, they have been challenged by these Gnostics. They have presented all these truths to them, and they, are, they have not gone out with them. To some extent, they have thought this through. They have enough teaching. They have John. Maybe they've asked other questions. They've read his, his letter, and he's like, yes, this isn't what, who Jesus is. This is what I've learned. They're saying this. Is that the same thing? And they're working through it, and John is saying, "But just simply by doing that, you have overcome them. These false teachers who, who, who want to come in and, and try to get you to lead you away and, and try to, you know, the enemy loves to, to try to get you, snatch you out of the Father's hand. None can snatch you out of the Father's hand, right? It's that confidence of knowing and going, wait a minute, who do they say Christ is? That's not what I understand the Bible to be teaching, and so they have overcome. The second thing you realize is they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Greater is he that is in us, he that is in the world. The mighty God, right? The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the creator has sealed us into the day of redemption. By his Holy Spirit, he is with us. And greater, of course, is this God than anything else. It ties in well with what we talked about last week. And all authority in heaven and earth is given to who? Christ. It's all his. It's all of him. Sometimes it's saying it's good and maybe important for us to visualize this, right? Think about it. I love the story of, of uh, Elisha when he's, him and his servant, I think they're in Dothan and they have this moment where the servant goes out and he's like, oh my goodness, we're surrounded, we're doomed, right? And Elisha prays that God would open his eyes and then he sees the armies of the Lord. Takes that faith and knowing, right? We have to know from scripture. I know all authority in heaven, right? I know it's his I know that greater is God that's in me than, than whatever else is in the world. And we need to understand that. And John is saying, look, you've overcome them. The, the benefit of discerning is to know this. Right? It's not to overcome, to one-up somebody. right? The motive is always impurity. Right? Believing in the truth, knowing the truth, growing in our truth. So we see the benefit for the believer. In verse 5, we also realize that there's a benefit that non, the non-believer is revealed. They, right, the non, the false teachers, they are of the world. He says, therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. You know, I see this in in, in application. Um, You know, it's easy. I see it in, in today's churches, in a general sense, I'm not thinking of anything specifically, but it's easy to, to, to gain a crowd, right, if you're saying what they want to hear. Last week I mentioned that it's, you know, there's some who believe that, that sin is a harsh word and we shouldn't be using it. Tell that to John, right? I mean, he kind of runs us through it in chapter 1. He who says has no sin, make God to be a liar. Another word I've, you know, I used last week is repentance, right? We don't, that seems harsh. That won't build a crowd. I've heard even pastors say, and it's completely true, that Jesus would have been a horrible evangelist. How often you see he gets a crowd and he, he weeds them out, right? John 6 has this crowd. He comes and tells us, you know, must drink of my blood, eat of my flesh. And all these Jews are just, their jaws are on the ground, right? These church, these church growth guys would say, that's not how you build a church, Jesus. Come on, man. You don't do that. But I think it's very important that that we hear truth. It's good for us. I'm convinced that we, right, as God's creation, as humans, we have the same problem. It's sin. God has the same answer. It's Christ. And it's good for us to hear that. And so the the, the non-believer is revealed for who they are, their position maybe they take and what they think about Jesus. 1 John 2.15, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. John goes on to say the world is passing away. He defines the world for us. Lust of the, fl- lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Stay away from that. Right? These things become revealed to us. We can see them for what they are. We can assess them. We can be discerning. We can grow in this. So any teaching that distracts, I believe, from God's glory and his sovereignty and exalts anything else right? A pride of someone else is clearly not from God. It's not from God. It's false teachers were, were growing a crowd, right? Bringing them, saying what they want to say. Hey, we got the better version of Jesus. And, and John comes on the scene and says, no, 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 no. Discern this. Do not believe every spirit. Test them. What do they say of Jesus? I think our struggle today is, is many of us don't like the idea of engaging in this kind of conversation. But there is a benefit to it. There's a benefit in which you are encouraged. Truth is, is cemented, if you will, in you. And maybe the, through, through you, the Lord might open someone's eyes. A non-believer might say, let us speak more. Let me hear more of this. Isn't that Paul's response in Acts 17, where he goes to Mars Hill? Some said, we must hear more of him. Some called him a babbler, right? The Stoic philosophers of the day said, who's this babbler? You may get that response. Who is this babbler? You may also get the other response. We should have another conversation about this. I'm interested in it there's a benefit. And the last, the verse 6, the last benefit is that truth is pre- preserved. He says, we are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this, we know the spirit of truth, and the spirit of error. You know, it's interesting that Paul right here, or excuse me, John right here goes to this we, right? And he, he you see the 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 pronouns, right? You, you all, us, we are, we can be encouraged. They, them, those false teachers, they're revealed, right? And he goes to the we, and here he's talking about the apostles' teaching, right? Us apostles, this is how he began the letter, right? This is how he begins in the first verses, the verse one, that, that which was from the beginning, which we, right? These apostles, we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which our hands have held concerning the word of life. We have seen it. Right? He goes right back to this. Those who listen to those who listen to us, we, right? We are of God. And he's saying all of the apostles' teaching is important. Those who, who understand, right? Who grow and this is dear to you. Doesn't this go in line with his test? Is the test of truth important to you? Do you have a longing to understand this, to know him? This becomes a way in which we can assure ourselves of growing in the faith and, and knowing that we have eternal life with him. And John takes all the collective authority, if you will, of all the apostles and said, this is the teaching. We must be discerning. John doesn't give us multiple ways. John says there's, there's only two camps, if you will. You're either in one or the other. There's not a third, a fourth, a fifth. There's either Christ, right? Pro-Christ or anti, against and it's very important for you and I and every believer to be discerning. You're going to hear things, right, in the radio, on the way home, television, social media, you're going to hear things all the time. And John says, what did they say about Jesus? And that may take some prying. It may be just completely blatant and <laughs> upfront, but it may take some prying. Did they make much of Christ? Do they believe in the history, the, the historical Jesus? They believe that that he came, the virgin birth, that he walked this earth. They believe that he went to the cross. They believe that he became, as John says, a propitiation and atonement for you and I. Do they believe that? Do they believe it's Christ alone? The righteous, Christ the righteous, our advocate, do they believe it? And it's very important for you and I to be discerning. From that, right? From that comes encouragement. We preserve his truth. We understand it. We can communicate it. We can share it. There's not two ways, right? Only one way to Christ. There's only two camps, right? Spirit of God, spirit of Satan. Christ, Antichrist, Cain, Abel, you, you mention it, right? There's only two. This morning we want to affirm that we know him. Continue to press on. We want to be discerning in everything that we hear. We want to be a a mouthpiece of God's truth, those situations in which we can speak. We might be able to help others. We want to be completely realistic in the sense of when those things are exposed, when when a family member or a friend says what they think about Christ, we might be able to say, this is not true. This This isn't who he is. This truth keeps you on the outside. You have to come to know him. And we have to believe that all authority, heaven and earth, is in Christ. Christ has it. And those moments, when they come, and they present themselves, we have to believe that Christ himself has placed you there to share a powerful truth with someone who needs to hear it. We must be discerning. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, that you concern yourself, uh, Lord, with us. It's not enough for you that we would simply know Christ